0: Welcome to The Bean Pod, a podcast about decentralized finance and the Beanstalk Protocol. I'm your host, Rex. Before we get started, we always want to remind everyone that on this podcast, we are very optimistic about decentralized finance in general and Beanstalk in particular. With that being said, three things. First, always do your own research before you invest in anything, especially what we talk about here on the show. Second, while you're doing that research, try to find as many well-developed, opposing viewpoints as possible to get the best overall picture. And third, never, ever invest money that you can't afford to lose or at least be without for a while. And with that, on with the show. At its best, a decentralized world is one where people are free to explore and build without the hassle or threat of intermediaries. It's one where you can develop ingenious products and services without the roadblocks of government regulation or entrenched legacy competition. It's also one where you can grow wealth, regardless of who you are, where you come from, or what you look like. Unfortunately, decentralization is not always at its best, and one of the risks is that the safety nets that protect many traditional organizations just aren't in place. Not your keys, not your crypto is a pithy truism, but losing a cold storage device is a genuinely frightening possibility with essentially no recourse. And while clicking a dangerous link in the traditional web space could cost you your Facebook profile, clicking a dangerous link in DeFi could cost you your fortune. In the days since Beanstalk's exploit, security has dominated our conversations. Code vulnerabilities, social engineering, and of course, governance attacks have been discussed, argued over, addressed, and resurrected to start the cycle all over again, all in the name of making the protocol as invulnerable as possible. But with that has also come the understanding that we can't do it alone. Trusted partners providing audits have laid cold eyes on the project that will, in the end, result in a safer ecosystem. Beanstalk has undergone three audits to date with the two most recent ones finishing up just this last week. One of those audits was performed by Halborn, a firm committed to ethical hacking and offensive security. And for this episode, Mod Publius and I are lucky enough to sit down with one of Halborn's co-founders, Stephen Walbrowell. Stephen has more than 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, and it's a pleasure to have him share some of that knowledge with us. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thank you. How are you doing? Glad to be here. Wonderful to have you, Mad. welcome back. Thank you for having me. And Publius, good to have you too. Thank you, Rex,
1: and thank you, Stephen, for coming.
0: All right, Stephen. So to kind of kick us off, just tell us about Halborn. What, what does Halborn do? What services do they provide? Who are your typical clients? Give us a basic overview.
2: Yeah, so Halborn, we are a uh, cybersecurity uh, firm and tool developer, and uh, we've been around for about three years now, um, securing smart contracts, but not just that. uh, We consider ourselves end-to-end security. So um, the background uh, of myself in general is I have about 20 years of cybersecurity experience I was working at you know everything from like IBM to uh, large insurance companies and banks, and then some startups here. So I've taken a lot of the um, the, the approaches from different mar- uh, areas of security, and I'm trying to provide all of that experience and the experience of our you know other auditors and pen testers and developers here to not just think about you know the smart contracts, but the web apps around it, and the, the, the securing the people around it, the communities, you know, with uh, security awareness and training, doing infrastructure tests, and you know, re- when it really comes down to it, um, you know, it's all brand new, uh, and you know, security vulnerabilities. There's there's zero days or, or new ones every day, and um, I want to see the space in general thrive and and have a lot of success because I believe in decentralization and you know, self custody and transparency. Um, so doing security for all of the different communities and developers and protocols and projects are, you know, kind of doing the the part here, and uh, we, you know, so how we're now where we are, we have about uh, about a hundred engineers um, that focus on different protocols and help uh, work with the uh, you know teams like like Beanstalk um, to audit check the code and uh, secure all of their assets um, so that you know people's money stays safe that are investing in it and the protocols can uh, continue to develop secure solutions.
0: Excellent. So you mentioned the, the audit for Beanstalk and definitely appreciative of that. And we've just gotten a chance to, to read through the final report. Could you talk us through the basic process that Halborn takes? In, you know, obviously a lot of individuals working for a lot of different clients, but what's your basic process for providing audit services?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I know that it's it's always okay. Uh, I know that Beanstalk also has audits from Trail of Bits, uh, and they had just one done one as well, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, they're a great they're a great team, and it's always good to have well, multiple um, auditors look at things too. And our audit process in general, uh, for for Halborn in particular, is we like to be very thorough. Uh, we we care about quality over quantity of audits. So um, first, of, we we partner with uh, the people that we want to do audits with on you know ones that actually care about security uh, themselves. You know, there's a lot of different developers out there, and if, if you're know, listening to this, you know it's, it's not a good thing uh, to kind of rush the security aspect of it all, and because uh, especially on complicated protocols, you know. Complexity is the enemy of security, and uh, it requires a, ro- a really, really deep understanding of what's going on with the smart contracts. So the way that we work is to build partnerships that are long term, learn um, with the teams, understand what they're developing, and really set up a month, you know, month-to-month type service cadence rather than just one-time quick audit and then you know here's your report. That way, uh, you know, month to month, we can provide. That whole security around uh, all aspects of it, make sure it functions correctly, and we look at the, you know, the logical, business logic aspect of the smart contracts, not just a quick scan. Uh, and um, you know, so we work uh, very, very direct with the developers and the engineers side of it as part of our audit process. Is we, you know, give engineers that are familiar with the language itself or the platform itself, like Solidity or EVM and we also have teams that do like rust and solana or you know Cosmosm. but when you get the engineers that's focused on that language they understand it much better they get better quality and you know actually faster speed too because they you know have to like learn something um over and over again so that's really what we do it and then we provide the reports back uh you know help them understand the findings some test scripts and then uh after you know they've made the fixes and implemented them. We'll retest it and prepare them for a uh, you know a launch
0: or an upgrade um, onto the main. That seems like a really important aspect. You hit on it just a second ago. That idea of essentially building a relationship with a client, especially one that is evolving or consistently developing. You know that's that's moved beyond this idea of having like a single product or platform but it is in you know a continuous evolution or adding new products or services um, what are some of the challenges about building those relationships that are that are ongoing
2: yeah uh, the biggest challenges for building the relationships ongoing um you know i used to say it would be just the remote you know distance we're not really you know collaborative working together. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that in Web three, you know, especially with DAOs and you know remote teams all over the world, you're getting great talent. Um, we are a very distributed team as well, all over you know Europe and you know even some parts of Africa. You know, we have a, a couple of engineers, and I'm, I'm myself in Miami. So um, now the challenge um, really is about you know besides the technical parts of it is keeping up. You know with the 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 diverse and dynamic environment um of of this you know smart contract blockchain and web three world i've never seen in all my experience something move uh and advance so fast with innovation and um you know i think that's a couple years in crypto and, and blockchain tech um is more than uh, you know 10 years in, in normal web 2. Um, so just understanding all that and keeping up with it is the biggest challenge. And, uh, you know, luckily when you have a, uh, team that's really loves what they do and cares and, you know, shares that knowledge, you know, in the essence of open source and transparency, um, makes it a lot easier. So, um, that's it. And, um, you know, it's also a reason why we do this long-term relationship building because then, uh, our knowledge grows along with the protocol and the teams that are continually, uh, evolving it and pushing it.
0: You ever worry that the technological developments are, are too fast for the security components to keep up with or you know, the, the old colloquialism that I hear is like, you know, being out over the tips of your skis, you know, or, are, are we in an environment where development's happening so fast that, that security might be lagging too much for your comfort?
2: So, have you ever uh, seen any of you guys seen the movie Jurassic Park, the original one? Yeah, yeah
0: yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a really good quote from that movie. Uh, kind of it's, it relates to what you're saying. Uh, Ian Malcolm, you know, the, he's the the guy in there that we all know. See, he has a quote. He says, "Your scientists were so concerned with whether they could do it." that they didn't stop to think if they should and um it was, I'm paraphrasing it might be a little bit different but that's kind of that what you mean here is we're moving so fast uh because we know what we can build and we want to build it and we're pushing it out there but sometimes we're at uh, thinking like well should we be doing this and, and should we be going live right away should we uh you know add this you know feature to it what's the long-term effects with it um because with blockchain, we're all connected to the same, you know, the same chain, and this is all very composable. Um, there's, you know, a lot of the big vulnerabilities that happen are just in, you know, coming from your own code, but there's environmental uh, you know, issues that come up, like you know, flash loan attacks and economic type of attacks, and um, you know, there's there's impact that can. Uh, be shared uh, you know with others as well. So when you are doing security, you know, why you want to take time with it and um, you know not kind of like rush it and, and and push it out and you know some of that stuff, yes that that does scare me um, because you have to think big picture with everything that you're doing.
3: Stephen, you've mentioned the scope uh, of an audit that covers you know different aspects of it, including the economics of uh, of a protocol. Um, do you typically find one person knowledgeable enough to you know check the code and uh, uh, the economics of it, or do you find the team being split into you know different different parts with different specialties?
2: Really good question. Um, this is uh, something that I would say you have to. It it depends on the complexity of the code. Um, we always pair up and have multiple people work on it, and you know, inside it, Halborn. Our engineers, uh, there are different you know, levels of them. We have our more senior engineers that have multiple you know, languages or multiple uh, protocols, and some understand the, you know, DeFi. Um, some of them understand more NFT type of security issues, and you know, the way that we do it is we like to have um, a language expert and a protocol expert for whatever it is that we're going to audit. And the language expert will be somebody that's very experienced in like Rust or Golang or Solidity. Um, and, you know, they're looking at the uh, the code flaws kind of like from a static, you know, side of it. Any, you know, issues around how the, um, you know, Solidity was developed, reentrancy type of attacks or whatever, you know, if you want to get specific. And then another one coming to look at the protocol, like the purpose and looking at, you know, in particular for Beanstalk, like, Anything around yield farming or anything around um, decentralized uh, autonomous organizations or DAOs and proposals. And these are all functionalities that uh, you know doesn't really matter about the code. It's uh, you know a, a DAO can work like a DAO whether it's written in Solidity or Viper or uh, you know, Rust. So that's the way we do it. Um, some people do know both, uh, but then again, it's all based on experience and um, Having more eyes on it definitely helps. So that's uh, a long way of saying that yes, we like to have um, you know multiple people, and if it's extremely complicated, uh, you know, audit, we'll have we'll have quite a few on it on there, and they all kind of collaborate together.
0: So what are some of the common security concerns that? that your team see? And, you know, obviously sounds like you've got teams that are working in a lot of different spaces. Um, let's, you know, let's say with protocols like Beanstalks, you know, decentralized finance protocols, to put a little bit more of a box around it. You know, what are some of the more common security concerns that that your teams see in that space?
2: So uh, the most common ones in the in the, the space of DeFi is you know access to liquidity and um, you know kind of centralization of of that um, you know if you have uh, a large vault or you know something that's holding a lot of tokens like a liquidity pool it's obviously a target you know it's like a bank it's like a bank in itself um, you know bridges are one aspect of that too but. You know, when you have that thinking about the ways to access that you know if there is um you know just a multi-sig wallet for some reason or a single key <laughs> that can uh, you know withdraw this or or you know, transfer this that's um you know the common problem that would be the the worst and we've seen it before uh, where you know you have uh, you know the emergency withdrawal function is what I call it it's like hey, this is supposed to be decentralized. You know, why, is, why why can you just like withdraw one one address or one uh, you know, multi-sig wallet and withdraw all the liquidity? You, you can't even do that kind of stuff in a centralized bank. Um, so that's the kind of thing. But then if we're working with them and we, and we see something like that, then it's like the awkward conversation of like, oh, well, we found this issue. And they're like, it's not an issue. It's supposed to be there. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay, that's awkward. It's um,
0: not a bug, it's a feature.
2: Right. So that's, yeah, it's, uh, that's the common thing we saw for a while, which, uh, was, you know, seeing that quite often, we, you know, that we have a solution, um, uh, called Serif that we, you know, that we've developed that lives, you know, in the smart contract itself, um, natively and kind of provides a, a way to at least add like another layer of protection around that, um, and among other functions too. So it's now it's, uh, you know, another, Third-party, you know, to decentralize that that functionality, because we do understand sometimes it is necessary for some reason, you know, in in emergencies or you're getting hacked. Um, so now it's something that keeps the spirit of, you know, you know decentralization and you know non-custodial access. Um, something that that is also native and transparent on chain, but will provide a, a layer of protection around you know the worst case scenario of that you know a breach or insider threat or uh, loss of a private key so that's the most common issue we see uh, and then um, you know hopefully this is uh becoming uh, better and better as far as like practices that we see coming out because really the only thing that's been there is to completely revoke your ownership of it and access and leave it up to uh, the DAO or uh, you know multi-sig which you know, multi-sig is not security just, it it could be my firefox browser and my chrome browser metamask wallets. For, so who knows um but yeah that's that's that would be it
0: so i want to ask this question of publius um from the the beanstalk development side how do you feel like the evolution of security or or let's say um, common knowledge or experience around security approaches or features from like a development side? how do you feel like that is has evolved like what what do you feel like you have to lean on on the dev side that somebody in your shoes, Three, four, five years ago, might not have had the ability to lean on.
1: So, you know, over the past few years, you know, um, there have been numerous, you know, exploits and hacks throughout all of DeFi and uh, you know the Web3 ecosystem. Um, and you know, the the one saving grace, you know, of today is that we have that experience um, to kind of learn from and. You know, when we're going through the smart contracts, um, we can refer back to, you know, large, you know, the majority of the large DeFi exploits and, you know, see what caused them. Um, you know, even a couple years ago, um, this whole idea of, uh, you know, flash loan resistant oracles was something that's still new. Um, you know, even in, you know, the exploit that occurred to us several months ago, you know, it was a loan exploit and, um, you know, something like uh, something Stephen mentioned earlier, reentrancy attacks. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, we didn't know too much about, you know, uh, years ago, but now we have the history of, you know, Web3 to kind of guide us and show us kind of what pitfalls and traps we need to look out for as we're developing. Um, and that's, you know, one of the, the saving graces of kind of the Web3 open source kind of, you know, um, ethos where, you know, we have, uh, you know, DeFi and, you know, you know, blockchain is all kind of one large experiment where we're all kind of building on each other's, uh, you know, trials and failures and successes and learning what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that comes at large, uh, a large cost sometimes. Um, but you know, at least today, we're much more aware of you know the large the large scale attacks that can occur on you know DeFi protocols, and you know we're all learning, especially the oracle problem. Um, you know, a tremendous problem of you know kind of what is what is price? How do you calculate price? And how can you have a non-manipulative price? Uh, While well, it also being you know an honest price, uh, it's not a, it's not an easy challenge and. You know, we're all kind of working together collectively as, uh, you know, uh, a Web three community to try to figure out what the best solution to all these types of attacks are.
2: That's fantastic uh, response to it, I, I, and I like how interesting you're saying about the oracle problem too, uh, because they, uh, what is price and what is value? You know, what, what's your peg and um there's, and even extending beyond that with oracles and that problem too is uh it's all about like what is the source of authority you know in a decentralized thing so <laughs> right you know is the coin gecko price api you know well now you have something that can control price even with an oracle so how do you distribute that authority and if it's not price you know let's just say you're doing nfts or something and all right well you know, here's my art and I, you know, put it out here and this is the original art and it's supposed to be, you know, proof of authenticity, but what is, you know, what is the real one? What if I make a smart contract uh, that mints the same art you have? You know, okay. So who's, who's the original artist, me or you? And now it's like a, essentially like who has the blue check mark on, on that art now? It could be that. So it's all like back to, you know, a authoritative source and, and, you know, what is, what is one? So I think, a good part of like DAOs and governance would be, you know, a community-based uh, way to decide, you know, what what is the price and what is the source of authority, what is the point of authenticity as well um, on blockchain.
0: It's really interesting the projects that are out there. We actually just had a conversation with Teller Protocol, who you know is decentralized oracle and. I had never thought about this exact problem that you guys are discussing. I'm admittedly full transparency. I'm not a dev. You know, this is not my area of expertise. I'm, I, my, my knowledge lies far away from here. This is very interesting to me, but I'm still learning. And so to have that conversation about like, what does, what is value? Who establishes what value actually is? You know, can you trust just like you said, Stephen, the, you know, the, the price feed from CoinGecko. And, you know, is there a better way to do that? Is there a more um, reliable, less or a more censorship resistant way? And, you know, I feel like that does feed a lot back into these questions of security that really aren't, really aren't code driven. It seems like, and again, this is someone without technical experience speaking but seems like there's a lot of a lot of passion around making sure that that code is carefully crafted and that vulnerabilities are quickly exposed it seems like a lot more of these attack vectors are far more driven by social aspects or questions of data source rather than Hey, there's an incorrect value in someone's line somewhere.
2: People are the weakest link. Yeah, people are the weakest link. Uh, usually in any, not just blockchain security, normal security too. You know, some of the uh, the biggest you know incidents happen from you know a uh, somebody gets tricked. Um, even even still today, um, where you know you have. A liquidity pool or ICO, to a completely, you know, decentralized, perfectly coded contract set, and they do an initial token offering, and somebody scrapes the Telegram or Discord group and sends them to a fake one, and they mint a fake coin lo- looking just like yours, and you know, they put their money into it, and then they uh, end up draining it because of the tricking the community or you know, just um, you know, get convincing them, and then. Uh, that's kind of preying on the masses all the way to like somebody clicking the link and getting a private key or mnemonic phrase or something. So yeah, people, people are the, always the link, which is why we focus on education. <laughs>
0: it is funny. I, it, as, as I hear you and Publius talk and, and you know, in mod talk, it, it makes me think of, you know, the basic. The, the cybersecurity training that folks go through in their IRL jobs where, you know, it's like if you get an email from your boss that says that they're stranded in New York City and need you to send them your credit card number so they can get an Uber home, you know, notice that that's, you know, might potentially be an attack. And it it's, it's, it's interesting and, and I'll say sad, not in the sense of like, You know, not not in the sense of like, I don't know, I I feel bad when I hear about attacks that happen because someone clicked a link in Discord. I mean, like that breaks my heart.
2: Yeah, it it, it comes down to, I think, higher level, like big picture looking at it. When you think of the purpose of DeFi and you think of the purpose of uh, just like even Bitcoin back to the, you know, the grandfather, it's about, you know, you are the bank self-custody and it comes with responsibility. So the, you're, you're giving up, um, you know, the, the, all your keys or your, the custody of assets that you would normally give to somebody else to hold and secure, uh, is now on you. So you're responsible for it. Um, and we all know that it's, uh, you're not your keys, not your coins. So it's all like between the custody and not non-custody, you know, you click that link, you, you're, you're going to get impacted and you're going to lose your keys or the keys of uh, whatever project you're developing for. And, uh, you know, before a company, if it's your bank for Wells Fargo, you know, usually they have monitoring and then their two factor set up and all that stuff too. And you can call to give a password reset. I just got like a fraud detection call from Wells Fargo on like a wire transfer I made to buy something. And they're like, you know, they're, they're watching all the time. It's, it's centralized. It's, there's a, there's an overseer for that to make sure that you don't mess up yourself um so that's like the good and bad part you know depending on how you look at it i understand security i like self-custody i like being the bank which is what attracted me to bitcoin in the beginning but i would not recommend like a cold storage wallet or you know, DeFi for like my grand my granddad <laughs> he should have it you know inside of a bank instead because he's gonna lose it
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um, So actually we have a lot of these conversations on the community side. And what we talk about is, I'll use Beanstalk as an example because it's the example we love to use. You know, we want Beanstalk eventually to be a place where non-DeFi natives can use these tools successfully and be able to interact with the protocol successfully, use beans, use the field and the silo and take advantage of all that that has to offer. But I do feel like there are some fundamental things that we wrestle with right around what exactly what you're saying. If I want my parents to buy pods, I've got to get them set up with a wallet on MetaMask or a cold storage wallet or something. And like, and explain to them that, you know, Hey, here's, you know, here's your, here's your passphrase. Here's, you know, here's, if you're using a cold, cold storage wallet, here's your, here's your code to get into your wallet. Here's, here's your, you know, emergency phrase. If you lose those things, you're SOL. Like there's no, there's no help desk. And I can see how, there would be some apprehension, especially folks that are used to using centralized systems where, you know, if something happens, I can I've got a desk I can call. I mean, do you feel like that will be a limiting factor or is that more just a process of, you know, newer generations are more going to be more comfortable using things like wallets that don't necessarily have, you know, some type of centralized safe haven.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, this is why we have, you know, Bitcoin, then we have the, you know, coin bases and the centralized exchanges. It's so uh, you're, but it's, you know, what's the difference and back to the old system. You know, somebody is holding it there. Now you have to trust that system, um, you know, to secure it for you. Uh, so it's just a different asset instead of like U S dollars. It's uh, you know, you know, BTC or, 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 you know, bean, if, you know, for wherever exchange is. So it's, you're not, but you know, it's also like, what's your purpose for, for it? If you're like, uh, you know, just want to hold on to it for speculative investing or, uh, you know, just to, to trade, then you know what, it's okay to, to do that. Um, you're never really, you know, owning it. You're just swapping and trading on a, you know, a web server somewhere. Um, so that's fine. You know, that's, that's okay. But if you're, you know, about, you know, self custody ownership or, you know, transparency, you know, I want to know with DeFi when I place my funds inside of a yield farm, you know, to get something and, you know, earning, uh, you know, earning this, uh, the extra value, then what exactly, you know, where are those funds going and what is locked in? Cause you, you don't know, like, look, look at what just happened with uh, Celsius, all those people, Put their money in there expecting one thing and it wasn't being done for that it was being used somewhere else so it's not transparent so it's all it's all like you know what what is your purpose you know for this and i think that it's a case-by-case basis on uh you know depending on the individual and their you know the results or the reasons that drew them to this whole ecosystem
3: Stephen, i wanted to go yes. back to a comment uh, that you said earlier which is you know uh, about complexity and, and and not to sacrifice security for for speed what what th- this is something that we you know uh, seem or have have discussions uh, about as well and you see you see it commonly being you know um, no audits let's move as fast as we can and then you have a, a different group that'd be like you know one audit is not enough let's have you know multiple audits as well where is the balance that you think you know is, is is the one that makes sense?
2: So there, it's all about risk appetite, um, you know, of the teams. Uh, I can't you know condone or say everybody's like right or wrong on you know the approach for it, um, but different different development teams have different risk appetite for it. Um, perhaps the the risk is you know not as good as the, the possible reward of moving fast without an audit and going live. Um, but the risk is, is great. Uh, you know, doing something like that. And the reason why is, you know, you are, uh, you don't get too many sh- you know chances on blockchain. You know, when it's on, when it's on blockchain, it's there, it's immutable. Um, I mean, there's proxy contracts and stuff, of course, but you know, basically it's, it's on there and, uh, when when funds are gone, you know it can't be like, reversed unless you're gonna fork, you know, Ethereum or something. <laughs> but it's you have less uh, less chances and um, rep, reputation is is of course at stake too. So that's you know that's it. It's just like the, what's the risk appetite? Do you want to take that risk? I recommend not because this is complicated. Um, the more complex your your, your platform is. Um, yeah. And with, with Beanstalk, you, you guys, you, you guys are complex too. Um, you make it really uh, fun, you know, and convenient to understand these things by, you know, with having, you know, sprouts in the farms and, you know, doing the different seasons that coming in, I think it's a really creative way to, um, you know, to, to apply like DeFi investment to, to that. Um, and, but the, you know, the code itself is complicated. So doing multiple audits is, um giving yourself like insurance in a way you know, preventative insurance before it happens rather than insurance after it happens so uh i would say it's whatever whatever risk appetite uh, a team has um you know to make that call uh it's not what wrong or right one way or the other my take is i've seen too much code and know that uh we find a vulnerability almost every single time, so I would say you definitely go for on the risk risk averse uh, side of it.
0: So to that point, Stephen, like, and it was something I was thinking about as Publius was talking earlier too. Is, is there like, is there like a resource, like a master resource somewhere that where, if you've got a team working on a let, again, let's say a DeFi project, they're stepping into. This situation where they may have a language expert and they've got someone that becomes a protocol expert or is a protocol expert, but are they looking at like, is there like a GitHub resource or a, you know, document somewhere, you know, either internal or external that gives your teams like the, you know, the top 50 things that they should be looking for, like, you know, that uh, gives them a basis to drive what they're looking at in an audit.
2: So a uh, like a best practices or a, kind of like the security standards for it. That's actually, you know, something that um, where we've been working on that and it's evolution. And because of the, the the pace, you know, I mentioned earlier how fast this space moves and how much innovation there is. All that innovation comes with new vulnerabilities and new approaches. So uh, Publius mentioned like, yeah, the re attacks, that was like, you know, a zero day, nobody had seen that type of, you know, type of a hack, um, back, you know, five years ago. Now it's like almost, uh, something to always look for and it's, it's easy to spot, but, you know, there's different vulnerability classifications and categories come out all the time. And then all, then a new platform comes out and a new protocol comes out and a new layer one comes out with a, a brand new language. So all of that is, you know, starts over again. So the single source doesn't really exist. Um, I think it's spread out and it's very uh, detailed and a lot of nuance, depending on what you're doing. So, with code, uh, you know, that just the way that we approach audits ourselves with a code expert and a, and a logical uh, protocol expert, um, there should be different best practices. Uh, uh, you know, a list built on, you know, Rust based. Blockchain vulnerabilities and then best practices around that solidity based you know, vulnerabilities and there is a good list for that that um, consensus has put together you know best practices around eth code so that one's pretty matured um, but then the protocol stuff is you know what are the top vulnerabilities to look out for for uh, you know stablecoins or for automated market makers that those do not exist and I think that's always being developed and, and more things are looking out for, so the best way to do it now, just so I can, you know, give knowledge on what to do, is to, you know, look at previous audits, study hacks that have happened, and um, why Halborn, like us and, and other security auditors, add value, is you're getting experience from economies of scale. We get exposure, and we're looking all day at. Different types of vulnerabilities across different protocols, different languages, and all of that uh, experience and insight is kind of captured in one, you know, one place. You know, to, with uh, with a security team to help um, to find things. Maybe you would wouldn't have realized are, are actual issues, or um, you know, best standards for coding or something, or think you know, kind of gotchas and all of that. So, the you get that experience, and and we are working on compiling. You know. It issues itself, um, so through study of previous audits and audit reports, and um, cataloging like a data, think of it like a DeFi vulnerability database is uh, so, you know something that is in development.
0: So, question for for you, Stephen and Publius, do you feel like that is the realm, or should be the realm of like the Ethereum Foundation to help provide? Best practice documents like security information? Or do you think that that's maybe outside of what their purview should be? It, you know, it's hard not to, when you think about things like best practices, I come from traditional industry where really every industry has some type of governing body that says, hey, if you're going to do this thing, here's a list of Best practices, things you should look out for, things that are absolutely wrong. I mean, is that is that the place for like an Ethereum Foundation, or is that maybe too much centralization?
2: Traditional security, they have third parties that are uh, providing best practices as security researchers. So, web applications, they have OWASP. Um, There's also NIST, you know, the that creates standards and and practices, Um, and. The those oh, ISO is another one, you know, for policies and administration. So ISO two twenty seven zero zero two standard, you know, is a framework for securing an organization. So they're usually independent third parties that uh, will be adopted by uh, the platforms themselves. So Microsoft, you know, if we compare them to like the Ethereum Foundation, Microsoft Windows has tons of vulnerabilities, but they'll set up their best practices for securing and hardening Windows. And that's given by uh, an organization like CIS, uh, cent, you know, Center for Information Standards, and then they, uh, Microsoft will endorse that um, and uh, say, "Hey, harden Windows systems this way based on these CIS practices." So I think it's a partnership together with um, experts of security and adopted by the platforms themselves.
0: Any additional thoughts, Publius?
1: Yeah, that was a great answer, Stephen. Thank you. Um, you know it it's difficult because this whole kind of, you know, decentralization thing is, you know, still pretty new to all of us. And, you know, we're all collectively working together to figure out, you know, what that really means, what that looks like, and how do we best exercise it? Um, You know, given the decentralized ethos of Ethereum, you know, it's hard to kind of point to the Ethereum foundation and say, you know, they, it's up to them to you know, make sure that there's best practices and you know, all potential vulnerabilities and smart contracts are known and listed by them. Um, you know, it's really up to everyone who holds Ethereum um, to collectively kind of you know, make sure that those resources exist. And that's kind of where things get difficult, though, um, because you know, how do you create accountability? How do you make sure things exist? And you know it's kind of had this unfortunate consequence that it's like, you know, you know, the the kind of you know warnings and protections that you know developers might want to know about um you know don't necessarily exist until it's needed and it's not really needed until the an attack happens or an exploit happens. Um, but you know there's there's plenty of resources out there if you you know do some Googling or looking around in you know the Ethereum development community about you know here are common attacks and You know, I think really, you know, there's been a few big ones this year and, um, you know, hopefully collectively as a community, you know, we're all internalizing that and, you know, definitely making sure to do our due diligence as developers. And, you know, the area I personally feel like it's most important to, uh, you know, push for is, you know, new developers, um, you know, personally myself, when I started, you know, developing smart contracts, um, you know, I had no idea. Um, you know, the scope and vast amount of potential attacks and exploits there were that, you know, aren't necessarily related to anything you're familiar with. Um, You know, going to the flash loan attack. Um, It's something that, you know, at least from, you know, my experience is very unique to on-chain development. And, you know, is something you would never really expect to even have to worry about until you know about it. Um, So, you know, Trying to figure out the best way to make sure that you know new smart contract developers, uh, you know, are aware of the kind of unique difficulties that come with Ethereum development is incredibly important. Um, And you know, I think the community overall, just you know, the Ethereum development community has you know done a good job so far in you know kind of making sure checklists exist and you know a list of known attacks exist and you know just overall just you know, continued awareness about, um, you know, what, what, what these vulnerabilities are and common attacks. And, um, you know, overall, the, you know, it, the, I think the community has done a great job and we just need to keep, you know, holding ourselves accountable for making sure that, you know, uh, the, the Ethereum community is at large. The Ethereum community at large is, uh, you know, making sure that security is always at the, the forefront of you know what we're trying to um you know make people aware of and conscious of
2: yeah good point i think it's just checks and balances you know any any great thing is the checks and balances we even do it ourselves where you know we we look at the security for the code and provide practices to help but we don't ever develop the code for our our clients like we would never uh fix a vulnerability with like a pull request or something into you know the beanstalk code um so it's it's a, you know, the checks and balances for there, like then we audit our own code. So I think the same applies to like Ethereum Foundation. Like they, it they may, I think the best case would be they give uh, standards on how to implement and utilize and code you know, Ethereum contracts to spec um, and security is then uh, provided, you know, by somebody like a community or security teams uh, to get collectively uh, to find the vulnerabilities and, you know, Provide a security spec to it, so that's checks and balances, just like a normal government having in America, you know, the the uh, three different uh, entities check each other: judicial and legislative and uh, executive branches, keeping it all in balance.
0: And the the other thing that goes through my mind, and and you know, I made that comparison between, you know, let's say, cryptocurrency or decentralized finance development and in, in more traditional industries. The other difference there that I didn't mention that that came to mind is, as you guys were talking, was the idea of proprietary knowledge that is held at a in a different standard in traditional industry. You know that proprietary knowledge is is precious. That's you know that is something that creates a certain amount of secrecy between organizations that we don't see as much in decentralized finance or in, in cryptocurrency or you know similar applications, web three development or whatever, because there's so much open source that that isn't common in traditional industry. So maybe that's the other the other factor.
2: Yeah. I like open source um, you know a lot. Yeah it's kinda of like in traditional web two it's like the Linux versus Windows <laughs> battle. Like, you know Linux open source Windows not open source who's done better in security over time uh, with that that model
0: yeah absolutely so Stephen I, I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about serif we had a great presentation from the team here a couple days ago uh, walk us through what serif is the service that it provides etc
2: yeah definitely for sure so um, you know a lot of this stuff we talked about today around you know providing security for things, but also you know balancing that decentralization aspect of it and you know partnerships and having kind of a oversight, for custody versus non-custody and access and you know this is all you know kind of like the concept that you know us at Halborn, um, you know had wrestled with for a while. And thinking about how do we protect you know, these people um, without being you know too centralized uh, with a tool, something that can protect those f- uh, functions. So serif um, is the concept. it's a, it's a tool that yeah, that sticks by those principles and allows to prevent security um, while still maintaining um, a, a sense of decentralization. So preventative is is the key word here. Most tools have been very reactive, monitoring it after it's been hacked or you know doing something that after the fact, you know like uh, pausing the contract or um, you know having the uh, stable coins uh, do a blacklist. It's all very reactive controls. serif is preventative. so how does that work is it's um, a notary solution that's using a independent third party that has no, uh, no reason um, to want to you know censor, block, stop, or you know do anything—it's it's an objective, um, objective security team. Um, at, you know, so Halborn is is that team uh, for this product, and it's a—they're notarizing um, transactions on critical functions. So uh, I'll use the withdrawal eg- example. So you have a withdrawal function. Serif is a tool that um, will be is implemented in the code. Uh, with a modifier, and it only exists on um, functions that are agreed upon as sensitive and critical, and they execute um, as expected. Uh, anything that's not uh, as expected, like a withdrawal that is not planned or going to an address that you know should, shouldn't be to, it'll um, you know be rejected by uh, by a notary. So how does that work? The tool lives in the contract, and it's a separate um, RPC endpoint. So when you submit a transaction to Ethereum, uh, the functions that are covered with Serif actually go into a private mempool that, um, that the notaries monitor, and they can see what the transaction is doing. They can look at the call data, and they can simulate what the results will be. And if, those res- if the result of the transaction or you know the transaction itself is not um, as it should be. At, you know that how it was planned by uh, by the teams at User. So for, for this instance, let's say Beanstalk has a, a withdrawal, and they say you know withdrawals should only be done when you know uh, once a month for an upgrade, or they have a planned withdrawal you know next year for a time lock release. If it doesn't follow that runbook then it'll be rejected and it'll never get written to chain or allowed to be executed so um and it, it works still be being decentralized because you know we're following the the runbooks that are uh, implemented and we don't have a key uh, to the contract itself like we're not uh, multi-signing you know have access to any liquidity we're not doing anything that um you know gives us a reason to you know, to kind of be fraudulent ourselves, it's a it's a notarization system. It's a separate one um, that is there as, as objective. So it can also be considered kind of like an ad hoc, uh, you know, audit, a, a transactional level audit rather than a smart contract level audit. So we're auditing every every transaction um, to find vulnerabilities instead of auditing every smart contract that needs to be then put on mainnet. So, um, it's the first preventative system, uh, for, for smart contract functions.
0: Yeah. So it makes me think of the, uh, the multiple keys for the nuclear launch codes. That makes sense. You know, where you have to have, you know, you see in the movies, you've got, you know, your two guys that have the, the keys and they go up and they have to both turn up at the same time and put their individual codes in before you can, you know, launch the nukes from your submarine. Right.
2: Yeah. So that's, uh, it's very, very close to that. Um, but we don't have a key to the nuke codes at all. So it's, uh, it, you know, the team of the nuclear launch code people, they can decide to do something. Uh, what if one of those, you know, what if, what if it's a crazy, uh, you know, president that wants to nuke it and he ends up stealing the key of his friend and and sends it off, you know, uh, or, you know, things like the multi-sig wallets that come out or maybe the three keys for the nuclear launch code, they work with the engineer of the, launching system to turn it in from three keys to two keys. And now those two people end up working together to launch it. Uh, So where we are, you know, you could think of us as the, um, you know, outside uh, objective judicial branch of that. We don't have a key, um, but we can, you know, kind of uh, intercept that that launch um, and deactivate it of, you know, if it's not following the, the rulebook set by the original committee of those keys.
0: Got it. So that, that runbook would be something that'd be pretty important when you're setting up that initial process, whatever those functions are, and the circumstances under which those functions would take place gets established, and anything outside of those parameters automatically draws that flag.
2: Yeah, think about like a firewall on the network. Uh, this is another good comparison. Yeah, you know, when you have a firewall there, and it's preventing uh, or, or dropping uh, different traffic, or, you know, network transactions. Saying we, you know, our rule, our firewall rule is to block any traffic that goes to this IP address or this port. And Serif is that firewall um, that will now stop that transactions from from happening. Um, when if you change your firewall rule set. And that's only done by you know working with the, the teams that are using Serif, um, Then, uh, then it will you know be activated. Then, so that that runbook yes is is important, um, and it's you know tested and prioritized and, and worked with uh, the developers in order to make sure uh, there's no surprises.
0: All right, great. So uh, we're we're just over the hour, Stephen. I don't want you to hold want to hold you any longer than I need to. Certainly appreciate your time. I want to give Maud and Publius both just another chance if there's anything on your list to ask. No questions from my side.
1: No questions on this side either. You know, just want to thank the, you know, you, Steven, and the whole Halborn team for um, you know, doing a great job auditing the Beanstalk smart contracts. Um, and, you know, it was an incredible experience working with you guys and you know, we hope to continue working together in the future.
2: Awesome. Same here. It's, yeah, it's been great working with you guys too. Um, happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I could talk about this stuff all day. Yeah, I, I love it. And the, you I know, love the project you guys have going on here too. So um, th- th- thanks for uh, inviting me.
0: Yep. Thank you so much, Stephen. And and Mod. thank you for joining us. And Publius, thank you as well. Always oh, a pleasure. Thank you, Rex. You can find out more about Halborn on their website at halborn.com or on Twitter at Security. The Bean Pod is a production of Beanstalk Farms, a decentralized autonomous organization. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Medium, Discord, and our home on the web at bean.money. You can also find me on Twitter at RexTheBean. And as a final reminder, this podcast is not financial advice. Thanks again for listening.